Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how God has used Velocity to make a difference in your life, send an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Today, you get to see John 3.16 in action. If you don't know that verse, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And what you're going to see today is some people show that they really love God by giving. That's what you can take from that verse, is that when you really love something, you give. You're going to see some people who demonstrate their love for God today, and they demonstrate their love for his church, and they demonstrate their love for its mission. And I suppose if it's the first time that you're coming to church, this is your first experience, it could be a little bit confusing too because you are walking in right in the middle of something. Now, we're at the end of our seven-week series, Make Room for a Miracle, but one of the things we learned is that this church is a miracle in motion. And what you're gonna experience today is a miracle in motion. And you really don't recognize that it's a miracle when you're in the middle of it. It doesn't look like a miracle. It looks just like an ordinary day, but what that means is that what God is doing hasn't completely happened yet, but it is happening. Not everything that God wants to do is done yet, but it is in process, and it's kind of like when you walk into a movie. You know, maybe you walk in the middle of the movie, or maybe you're flipping through the channels, and you catch something. What is it, those Lifetime, Hallmark, Christmas movies? You're like, man, this is, uh, I mean, they all have the same plot, but... You can kind of pick it up in the middle. But, you know, so you walk in the middle of it, and you can still enjoy it, but maybe you've got some question marks because you missed the beginning. Well, that's, that's kind of like today. You know, we're, we're giving, and we're giving out of appreciation for what God has done. But we also have a phrase we like to say a lot around here, which is forever forward. And what that means is that in all that God has done, let's not assume that that's all he wants to do, right? So we're giving out of appreciation for what God has done, but we're giving with an expectation that God isn't done. And this is going to be fun to be a part. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we're doing that today. You're going to see some people that are excited about giving. You might see some people with tears rolling down their face as they're giving. And it's not because they're sad about what they're parting with. No, they're, the, the tears are because of what they're trusting God is gonna do and the goodness that they know God has done. And just as a way of bringing this full circle, I wanna start with a verse that we actually used at the very beginning of this year. Can you remember back that far? Seems like an eternity ago, but we started the year doing an entire series with just two verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author of our faith, and the one who brings it to its goal. Aren't you glad that God is faithful to finish what he started? He's the author. And I want to use this verse to speak to you today from this subject, 
It's only part of the story. That's only part of the story. And I would ask that you'd help me preach this a little bit. I need you to turn to your neighbor, make sure they're not falling asleep, make sure they're excited to be here, make sure they got their envelope ready. I need you to tell them that's only part of the story. Would you do that for me? Some of you guys are a little quiet today. You doing all right? You glad to be here? Is God good to you? All right. Are you ready to see your family this weekend? <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I guess that means we all need prayer. So, hey, let's pray. It's always my custom to pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to God in prayer before we get into the preaching of his word. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that every time we come into your presence and we open up your word, you speak to us. God, I know you're going to be faithful to do that very same thing again. God, we need to hear from you today. We don't need my ideas, my opinions, philosophies, or thoughts. God, we need your wisdom for our life. God, help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to see that we get to be part in your great story. And I'm thankful, God, in advance for everything you're going to do through this offering and in people's lives. We praise you for it, give you thanks for it. Everybody who agrees with that can say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you know that when somebody tells you their story, that's really not the whole story, right? That, that's, that's only part of the story. What you're getting is their side of the story, their version of the story. I can tell some of you are nodding your heads. You either have brothers and sisters too or your parents because there is not a day that goes by in my house that I do not hear, Dad, my brother hit me for no reason at all. How many of you know that's only part of the story? Really? No reason? He just went off and punched you in the face? Well, I guess if you're want to know some more details about it, his head did accidentally run into my foot. That may have had something to do with it. How many of you know that's only part of the story? And I got to set this up because if you don't recognize that when you're going into situations that you're only getting part of the story, well, one, you might make a fool of yourself. One, you might make a mistake. More severe, you might miss out on your miracle because you're only seeing part of the story. And I have to emphasize this because, see, we live in a day where we're very confused about stories. A, a lot of us think that 15 seconds, we, we think that this is a story, but this is not a story. Th this is a 15-second snapshot. We call that a story, but that's not a story. That, that is a carefully curated moment of somebody's life that they have selected for you to see. That is not a story. That is a moment. That is a scene. That is a chapter. And if you think that that's a story, then you're going to look at moments in your life and you might start saying something like, man, it's just the story of my life. It's not the story of your life. That is a moment in your life. That is a chapter in your life. And often we'll stop the story because we don't like the chapter that we're in. But man, if you 
stop the story just because you don't like the chapter, you are going to miss out on what God wants to do. It's not the story. It's just a chapter. And you are not the author. God is the author. That's why he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, right? And he's the one who brings our faith to its goal. And I see so many people that stop the story because they don't like the chapter. You know, I don't always take a lot of time to share stories, but I bet if we just went around the room, all of you would have some stories about what God has done, or maybe, maybe you would just be able to tell us about a chapter. And I want to encourage you not to stop on the chapter. We miss out on what God wants to do when we stop on the chapter. It's interesting because I had this thought in mind already with my sermon, and somebody wrote me last week, they wrote me on Monday, and they sent this to me. I just thought it was worth sharing with you. They, they said, Pastor Justin, a number of months ago, we were having coffee, and I was at one of the lowest moments of my life. I was unemployed at the time. I was coming off the worst year of my life. My best friend of 33 was dying. I was putting my mom in a dementia facility, and I'd Recently moved here, but I couldn't live in the house we had bought without major repairs. And as a result, I was now in a legal battle because of it. We were so miserable that the only thing my eight-year-old son asked for at Christmas last year was to go home. As a husband and a father, I was failing. And I was failing to help provide. Let me ask you, is that the story or is that a chapter? Is that the story or is that a scene? And so many times we want to stop right there. He said, over coffee, you challenged me to start trusting God with our first and best by giving. That's why you want to be careful about asking me out for coffee. You never know what I'm going to challenge you with. You want to go for coffee? Well, let's... Make sure you've been tithing, I guess. <laughs> so over coffee, you challenged me to start trusting God with our first and best by giving. You told me about the tithe and that if God didn't work in my situation after three months, the church would give it all back to us. You know, that's not me. Scripture actually says, God said, try me in this. He said, see if I won't pour out a blessing. That wasn't me making a guarantee. I just said, hey, just this is God. I've got no skin in this. If God isn't faithful to his word, then that's on God. So he said, being unemployed, the hardest question for me at that time was to ask my wife to start giving. We were failing drastically, and we were falling behind every month. But when I brought it up with her, she didn't even let me finish my sentence and said God had been speaking to her about the same thing. So we started giving when we had the least. I don't even know how many days it was, but sometime after, I landed a job that paid me three and a half times what I had been making. Now, I know giving is not about getting money, but I just wanted to share that what you said on Sunday was true. When we make room for God, 
He does more than we can imagine. There's no way to thank you enough. I grew up in church. I've always known I was supposed to give. I just never felt like I had enough to do that. I'd do it, he had quotations later, when I was really, quotations, blessed. I had it wrong all along. God was speaking so clearly to me through that day. There was no mistaking it or what I had to do. On behalf of my family, I just wanted to say thank you and give God glory. Now, that's a cool story. Isn't that a cool story? Aren't, aren't you glad that he didn't stop on the chapter? Aren't you glad that he didn't say, this is the story of my life. This is the way things are for me. What's cool, though, is that on the same day, I got another story. Somebody sent me, on, on Monday, I got two stories that people sent me. This one said, Dear Pastor Justin, I don't normally send emails like this, but I thought our recent financial story is something you'd appreciate. My wife and I were happy to become part of Visioneering. After you and I met for coffee, see, there it is. Um, if you don't know what Visioneering is, that's, that's a, a team in our church for people that um, they feel called to advance the mission and vision of our church by giving above and beyond their tithes and offerings. So he said, after you and I met many months prior to the official launch, I started to pray and when it was officially announced, it was fairly easy to understand that God wanted us to be part of this mission. What we didn't expect is that within about a month to making our pledge, we started to see blessings come to us that are obviously from God. I received a raise of $12,000. Now, I normally get yearly raises, but this had nothing to do with my performance or promotion. This was a market evaluation of individuals in the company, and apparently, I fell into a very small group that had received this race. Again, there's nothing I did to deserve this or earn it. Similarly, my wife received a $3,000 raise for teaching a class next semester that she was already signed up for at a lower rate. She didn't ask for it, and this was not performance-based. They just emailed her that she was getting it. Now, I don't send any of this to you to brag, but I wanted to let you know that your sermon on God giving back to those who give to him has shown true in our very household. I'm excited to see what God has in store for our church and I know that he is at work. Now, those are cool stories. And I didn't share this with you because like this isn't, God's not a slot machine and you put money in, you pull and God, I hope this works. It's not the way it works. But they had in their heart to do something for God and what I'm trying to show you is that God is faithful whenever you make room for him. He will come into the space that you make. Not just financially. You make room in your schedule for God. He's gonna show up with time for the things that matter. You make room in your priorities for God. He's gonna show up with priorities in your life for the things that are important to you. You make room in your relationships for God. Your relationships are gonna be more fulfilling. You, you'll see that whenever you make space for God, he will fill the space that you make for him. And I'm bringing that up because that's what we have an opportunity to do today. 
This is really not about giving or an offering. It's about making a story. It's only part of the story, but it's a story that we're making. And I don't know, maybe I was thinking about this because when I was sharing with you last week, well, I should tell you, I'm always like a little bit frustrated when I'm preaching to you, different reasons, but, but, but one of the reasons I, I, I get frustrated is because I'm always thinking like, man, if only I had more time, or I could have said that better, or I should have done that a little bit differently, or I left that part out, or I wish I would have added that in. And uh, last week when I was preaching, there was really a lot more that I wanted to say to you. I just didn't get a chance to say it all. I don't normally do this, but I mean, I figured I'm the pastor. I guess I can preach on whatever I want. So, because um, I, I was actually going to look at a different um, miracle today where uh, the disciples made room, where Peter made room in Jesus' boat. Or Peter made room in his boat, and Jesus got on the boat, made room, Jesus filled it, right? And then he said, hey, throw your net over. Their nets were empty. They actually were already done, and, and it's a cool miracle. The title is great. It's called What's Your Net Worth? Because they left their nets behind. It's really a great sermon. I'll, I'll bring it. I'll, I'll bring it another time. But um, it's next year. So, but last week I didn't get a chance to finish my sermon. I mean, I, I shared the story with you, but that was only part of the story. So I thought today I could share the rest. Is that all right? So I don't know if you read, uh, but maybe you weren't here, we were, well, we've been looking at a lot of Elisha in, in this series. Elisha is this great prophet. Some of us, we've become very familiar with Elisha by now. Um, <laughs> Elisha is a little bit of a hothead sometimes, uh, but he did great things for God. And uh, Elisha, well, last week, we were reading about him when he went to this place called Shunem. If you grew up in Bible school, the story technical terms about the Shunammite woman. And it's a good story. Uh, Elisha goes to Shunam, and this woman, she's a wealthy woman, she sees him passing by uh, every so often, and she's like, I need to do something for this man of God. I want to bless his ministry. I want to make an impact. And so uh, she invites him. She she buys him a a Popeye's chicken sandwich. And uh, I'm just trying to make this real for you. Um, she couldn't do Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sunday. So um, it's the next best thing. So she buys him a Popeye's chicken sandwich. And, uh, man, this is good, you know. And, and she she's, does that for a while. And after doing this, she's not content to just stay at that status of generosity. Because as we learned last week, there's levels to this. Right, like God always wants you to grow in your generosity. And she'd been doing this, but now it's time for something more. So she says to her husband, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we make a little room on the second story of our house? Now, the room is not the whole story. The the room was just a part of the story. So she makes this room. It was a great room because, I mean, this woman was wealthy. So, like, everything was from West Elm. It looked just great. And uh, the, the man of God, Elisha, he comes and he, 
He stays there, and we don't know how long. Maybe it was a week. Maybe it was the first day. Maybe it was a month, but he was, he was staying in this, this room, and he's like, I want to do something for this woman. So he calls his servant Gehazi, and it's really interesting because he doesn't speak to the woman himself. He speaks to her through Gehazi, and I never really understood this. Like, are you like some kind of big deal, Elisha? Like, can't you just talk to this woman? Need some distance from the man of God. I like, I don't know. But the only thing I can come up with is that sometimes we want God to speak to us directly, but maybe God will get his word to you through a messenger. You know, maybe God wants to speak to you through your sermon, through a sermon. Maybe the answer that you're looking for is in a message. Maybe the, the answer that you're looking for is in a word that's coming from your spouse. I, I don't know, but sometimes we want God to speak to us directly, but God will just use a messenger. So Elisha uses a messenger to speak to her. He says, hey, you've done so much for us. What can we do for you? And she's like, oh, I'm good. I don't need anything. I, I, I'm good. And it appears on the surface like this woman doesn't need anything. It's cool. We recognize she didn't have a list. Like she wasn't doing this to get something. She was just doing this to make an impact and be a blessing. But anyways, the, the truth is just because you're loaded doesn't mean you're not lacking. Doesn't look like this woman needs anything. I mean, she's a wealthy woman. She's got a nice house, two stories. She's got a big bank account. Right? She's driving one of those Porsche SUVs. This woman's got it going on. She's trying to make it real. But she has a need. And so Elisha, because he could see beneath the surface, he says to her, at this time next year, you're going to have a son. Now, she didn't do anything to even imply that she wanted a son or even that she couldn't have children, though Details later on show that to be the case. But nevertheless, because God is faithful to his word, that time next year, she has a son. And that's an awesome story. We love that part of the story because it tells us that whatever is barren in your life, God can bring forth. With one word from God. But that's not the whole story. That's only part of the story. I don't know if you read this on your own last week, but the story picks up in the very next verse that it says this boy, it's a miracle baby, well, he grows up. We don't know how old, maybe eight years old, nine years old, maybe 12 years old, still a boy. He's out in the field with his dad. He goes to his dad and he says, dad, I've got a headache. I don't feel so good. Dad doesn't really know what to do. Most times as men, we don't. So he says, go, go, go to your mom, go see your mom. But he collapses in the field. So the dad takes him to his mom. And while the mom is holding this boy in her arms, he dies in her lap. This woman who didn't ask for a son now is holding a dream that God gave birth to and the dream has died. What are you supposed to do with that? I mean, what would you do? Now she's got to make a decision. Is this where my story stops? I didn't ask for this. And sometimes the dreams that God gives birth to in your life will die. Is this my story? Or is this just a chapter?
So what she does, she goes back to the place that started it. She takes the boy to the place where she made room, takes him upstairs, lays him in that bed, and then she recognizes, I didn't start this story. <laughs> she, she goes to the prophet. It's his fault. And she says, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you don't get my hopes up? I didn't ask for this. So she insists that he comes back. He comes back, goes up to the place where she made a little room for him. He tries to raise the boy to life, but it doesn't work. He tries it. He says that he, he walks back and forth. He tries it, nothing happens. Like what I do when I try. I think God asked me, like, God, I, I don't know what to do. I thought this is what you told me to do. So as he walks back and forth, he doesn't know what to do. So he tries the same thing again. And on the second time, the boy starts to sneeze. And on the seventh sneeze, he gets up and lives. Now that's a pretty cool story. It, it, we love this story because it tells us that, okay, barren things God can bring forth and dead things God can raise up. Just because something's dead doesn't mean it's done. God can still make it live. But that's not the whole story. That's only part of the story. A lot of us think that the story stops there. A lot of us have grown up in church and know the story of the Shunammite woman, don't know that there's more to the story. But this story is actually picked back up in 2 Kings chapter 8. Now, I thought this was kind of cool because we're in the eighth year of ministry for our church. We just celebrated eight years in September. And eight in Scripture is the number of new beginnings. So this story that we thought was over, we learn a little bit more about it in 2 Kings chapter 8. And when we learn about it, this is seven years in the future now. Now, verse 1 is going to give us a flashback. But seven years from the moment Elisha raised this boy from the dead. It says, Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life. He says, take your family, move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible can't call her the woman whose son had been raised to life unless her son had died. You know, sometimes it's the parts of our story that we would like to skip are the very things that make the best story. Sometimes it's the parts of our story that we wish didn't happen are the very things that God wants to use. And so sometimes God will allow you to go through something so that after he brings you through it, you have a story to share. So Elisha says to her, he says, hey, take your family, move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last seven years. Now this is crazy. Because if we know anything about Elisha, we know that Elisha is the guy who makes it rain. <laughs> Elisha is the guy who told them to dig ditches in the desert and they were later filled with water. Elisha is the guy who hit the Jordan River with the cloak of his, his senior leader and the Jordan River parted. This guy sprinkled salt in the waters of Jericho and healed the waters, this guy saw a cloud the size of a man's hand and it rained. This guy knows what to do with water. He can make it rain. Not like this. I mean, 
It's different. It's different. So why would he say the Lord has called for famine on Israel? Doesn't make much sense. I mean, I thought God was supposed to bless us. I mean, you just read those cool stories, Pastor, about the blessing of God. And God called for a famine? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, God will bless you. But he'll also allow you to carry a burden. Because the burden is what makes you strong. And the burden is what keeps you humble. And so God can bless you in a famine because the famine is what forms your faith. But his blessing wasn't preventing the famine. The blessing was providing for her during the famine. So don't get bent out of shape. If your story right now looks like famine, don't get bent out of shape if it doesn't look like the provision that you think or that God didn't prevent something from happening. He'll provide for you in the famine. So verse 2 says, The woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family, settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And after the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. So she did what God told her to do. But while she was away, somebody confiscated her property. Somebody's living in her house. Somebody took her land. It's interesting how time can change you. One moment you're up, the next minute you're down. This was a wealthy woman. Now where we find her, there's been a famine in the land. She has to go before the king to beg. I don't know what her financial situation was like, but it looks like maybe it was different. Now, I need you to remember, only God can set this up. God is the author. And he will bring your faith to the goal that he wants, in the time that he wants, in the way he wants it fulfilled. Because it says in verse 4, as she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi. Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And the king had just said, hey Gehazi, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. I don't know how do you think this went. But Gehazi's standing in front of the king. He's like, well, let me think. Well, okay, there was this one time. There were all these kings. They were going to go fight the Moab, the Moabites. But they didn't plan very well. And so they went through the wilderness and... <laughs> All their provisions, all their cattle, all, their, all the men, they didn't have enough water. They were about to die. They called for Elisha. And after they had been marching all day, Elisha, he told them to dig ditches in the desert. In the desert. Can you believe it? There was no water. But you know what? The next morning, those ditches were full of water. That was one of the cool things. He's like, oh, tell me another one. He's like, okay, um, well, there was this one time that... Uh, you know, the, the, Elisha's ministry was growing. It was, like, it was happening like, like crazy. And, and so all the, all the school of prophets that were, um, you know, part of his, his training, he says, hey, we've got to make some room. We've got to build a bigger place. And so they all go start chopping wood down. And while they're chopping wood, this one, 
it was one of those, you know, like generic axe heads. It wasn't like the name brand one. He was chopping wood and the axe head, it flew off into the water. <laughs> he was all freaked out because he had borrowed it from his father-in-law. I'm making this part up, but <laughs> this actually happened. He didn't want to get in bad with the family. You know, Thanksgiving was coming up, so he didn't want to have to face that conversation around the dinner table. And so he cried out to Elisha, and Elisha said, hey, where'd it fall? He threw a stick in the water, and this metal axe head floated to the surface. It was amazing. Like, oh, that's cool. Tell me another one. I like, all right, well, um, there was this, this woman. She's like a really wealthy woman, nice house. One day she bought us some Popeyes. And... And it was the chicken sandwich, you know, that thing that went viral. It was really like that was, it was, it was during that time. And it was really good. And, and well, later she made a room for us and that was cool. She, apparently she couldn't have kids because Elisha prophesied, it's like next year you're going to have a kid. And she did have a kid, but that's not the cool part of the story. Later when this kid grew up, he was out in the field and he died. And I, I remember it because Elisha and I, like, we were in the middle of a church service, and Elisha, he was preaching this great message. And this woman came right in the middle of the church service, right in like this great point, and she interrupted him. She fell down at his feet, was holding on to his ankles. She wouldn't let go until he left the church service to go back to her son. So she went back, and I don't really know what happened next because I was supposed to run ahead. But then when he got there, like, he went into the room and shut the door. But I heard this sneezing, and after seven sneezes, this boy who was dead got back up to, and just as the moment, he says, got back up to live. Look at the, verse five. It says, as Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life, at that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. So Gehazi, he's in the middle of this story. And he says, and after I heard seven sneezes, the door opened and out came the boy. And he looks over his shoulder. And the woman is coming in. King, you are, you are not going to believe this. That woman, that woman that I was telling you about, look at what it says, next verse. Look, my Lord the King, here's the woman now. And this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. She had no idea that what she did in chapter 4, would be waiting for her in chapter 8. It's only part of the story. I don't know what part of the story you're in right now. Maybe you're in the chapter where something's died. Maybe you're in the part of the chapter called famine. But that's only part of the story. Maybe you're at the part where God has brought something to life and you're excited about it. 
That's what this offering is about. We need more stories. And you're part of the story. And if you skip this part called sacrifice, you don't get to see the part called significance. You have a story to tell. So she walks in. Gehazi's talking. And the king says, is this true? And it says that she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. Her obedience in chapter 4 made room for a miracle she didn't even know that she would need in chapter 8. And here's why this is meaningful to me. Because yesterday, I gathered all our kids, and I wanted to tell them about what was happening today. About this offering that we're getting ready to give. So I gathered all the kids up, and I said, kids, you know what tomorrow is? And they're like, Sunday. I was like, yeah, but what about Sunday? What's, what's special? And they didn't know. They don't pay attention. They had no idea. I was like, oh, we're giving this offering. And the reason I was telling them about it is because I said, you know, next year we're going to have a building, but I want you to know how this happens. It, it's a miracle, but it's not an accident. It happens because people give, and it happens because people pray. So we talked a little bit, and we talked about what we're believing God for and what they're believing God for, and they really didn't catch that part either, but we tried. You know, do the best you can. And I was sharing with them why it was meaningful to me because, you know, Marissa and I were... Uh, Every year we try and do more than what we've done before. We've been doing this eight years now. And I was telling our kids, you know, I didn't tell them how much we were given, but I said this is the most significant, the largest gift that we've ever given. But here's what I was reminded of yesterday. Is that it didn't start there. It didn't start with what we're giving now, it actually started, it actually started 20 years ago for me. 20 years ago, I was living in France. I had come back home for the holidays. My family was living in Iowa at the time. My brother and I, uh, for New Year's Eve, we went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to a church service. You know, you're a little strange when you're going down to Tulsa, Oklahoma for a church service on New Year's Eve. So we went down there, and uh, I remember this service. It was the first time, 17 years old, 20 years ago today, first time I wrote a check for $1,000. And what's funny is we didn't... Maybe I just didn't want to save money. We didn't even have money for a, a hotel room because we drove back that night or morning, depending on how you look at it. But I remember writing a check for $1,000, why that was significant to me. But here's what God reminded me of. 
17 years old, wrote that check, felt like God wanted me to do that. I was believing God for it. Really what I was supposed to do with my life. I was going to school in France. I didn't know what my next step was going to be. And it was a few weeks later, in January of that year, that that's when God called me to the ministry. At a very clear moment where God called me to the ministry. And what God showed me this week is it was really because of that significant gift. Now, what does that have to do with anything? That's part of the story. See, you're the miracle. You're the second Kings chapter eight to an offering that I gave 20 years ago. And we read about God working in people's life, and those were just two. And we could go around the room and play past the mic, but the reality is it all started with one significant gift. And so what you're doing today is not about today. It's about things you might not even realize years from now. So I just want to encourage you, and make some room. Make some room for God to fill. You have no idea what he wants to do. And as you make space, God will fill the space that you create. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. For more great messages just like these, remember to subscribe. That way you won't miss anything. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can do that by going to findvelocity.org give and partnering with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope this message inspired you, built your faith, and helped you see how God is moving in your life.